This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم فأتت به قومها تحمله قالوا يا مريم لقد جئت شيئا فريا يا أخت هارون ما كان أبوك رأسوا وما كانت أمك بغيا فأشارت إليه قالوا كيف نكلم ما كان في المهد صبيا قال إني عبد الله آتاني الكتاب وجعلني نبيا وجعلني مباركا أينما كنت وأوصاني بالصلاة وأوصاني بالصلاة والزكاة ما دمت حيا وبرا بوالدتي ولم يجعلني جبارا شقيا والسلام علي يوم ولدت ويوم أموت ويوم, ويوم أموت ويوم أبعث حيا الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين before I get started with the discussion on the actual ayat, there was, I, again, as I mentioned previously, when discussing the, the facing of the direction of the east towards, for, for the purposes of worship, that was mentioned in regards to Maryam. I mentioned how I was, um, I was referring back to a sister who, mashallah, has actually studied comparative religion formally, um, in, more thoroughly. And so I, she... Uh, inform me of something else very interesting. I had asked her a question kind of on the spot that does the, does the Bible, do, does the Christian scripture in any way, shape or form speak about that fasting of silence, that observing of silence, that oath of silence that the Quran tells us, Surah Maryam tells us that Maryam had taken. So uh, initially she responded she couldn't recall anything after she sent me some research that she did saying that there is no mention of this within the Bible or within Christian scripture uh, or Christian text. And something else that she mentioned was that when we do a comparative study of the narrative, the story of Maryam between the Quran, the Muslim, you, what you could call the Muslim narrative of it versus the Christian narrative, there's a very stark uh, difference in uh, something that sticks out. And that is, while the Bible mentions that Maryam was a virgin, it glosses over all the details of the miraculous birth by simply mentioning that she was betrothed, she was you know, married in the sense of where the marriage had not yet been consummated, but married in the sense of word had been given, the, you know, the, the actual uh, the ceremony, the formal ceremony had been conducted, but there had not yet been consummation, they had not lived together yet. So she, she was betrothed to Joseph, the carpenter, uh, who was a very good man, how it mentions him, but nevertheless, she was 
she was meant to marry a man. She was already kind of committed to be married to a man. And at that time is when the miraculous conception and the birth uh, began to happen. That process was initiated of Isa salam's arrival in this world, in this dunya. And it kind of covers up that fact by saying that since he was already betrothed to be married to Joseph, Joseph just kind of assumed initially he was very disturbed by the fact that she was pregnant. But it mentions a couple of things either because out of the goodness of his heart, or he even saw an angel in a dream, which I actually read in some of the tafasir, that uh, she's, an angel came to him in a dream and told him that no, this is a miraculous conception, and this will give birth to a prophet and a messenger, etc., etc. And due to those reasons, he ended up taking Maryam as a wife to save her from any type of slander or anything that would happen. So Joseph was regarded as the worldly father of Jesus in the Christian story. And so it doesn't, uh, the, the gist and the point of all of this is, is that the way the, the Christian scripture perceives the prophets and the messengers and Maryam and people of this caliber is that it doesn't invest a lot of energy, a lot of time. It doesn't talk a lot about how chaste Maryam was, how she was a very, very dignified woman, how she was very, she took her modesty and her chastity very seriously. Just like we saw in the Quran, much before even the miraculous conception, you're reading about Maryam secluding herself, making worship, and when that angel in the form of a handsome man approaches, she says, back off, get away from me, give, leave me alone. That, that type of that, uh, an investment into the narrative, that Maryam was a chaste woman, which precedes, which is a prelude to the entire story of the miraculous conception and eventual birth of Isa salam. that is not even mentioned within the Bible. So while from one sense we understand that the Christians revered Maryam, and in fact took the reverence of Maryam too far, but it's in a very, very weird form. It's very strange how they, did, how they went about doing so, when they don't really talk about the chastity and the modesty of Maryam, and that it was impossible. It is mahal, it is possible for a woman of Maryam's chastity and dignity and honor and modesty and caliber for her to ever be even, you know, to, to be the subject of such a discussion that she might have done something wrong. So it doesn't talk about her in that particular form. And that's a very stark comparison between how we as Muslims, through the Qur'an and the Sunnah, view these very, very amazing people, these revered people, these role models, versus how the uh, other religions, other faiths, even the Christian faith and the Christian scripture, how it talks about them, and how it reveres them, and how it looks upon them. So there's a very, very uh, stark comparison between the two, which sticks out here in Surah Maryam. Now going on, so coming to this particular narrative now again, you see in the previous discussion we had, the reason why this is very fitting here, in the previous ayat, in the previous darf, we talked about all the miracles of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all the miracles that Allah is making happen, be, with, the, with the spring sprouting forth, right down there at the base of the hill that she's staying at, or the fact that she just goes and touches the tree or shakes the tree, and you have all these fruits falling down for her. All of this is going on. This is again that same talk of Maryam was such an amazing person, was such a revered, uh, was someone so close to Allah that Allah is making all these special arrangements for her. And the fact that this is a miraculous conception, this is a miracle that is coming to existence, and Maryam is the vessel for that miracle. And so again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is complete, completely taking care of her. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has arranged for everything that she might need in this situation. So in ayah number 27, now again you have, فَأَتَتْ بِهِ قَوْمَهَا تَحْمِلُ فَأَتَتْ بِهِ So it begins with that fa. And fa again here is لِلْتَعْقِيبِ That after everything was said and done, 
Meaning now she has given birth to Isa salam. Now he has come into existence in this world. Now this child is born. Also, some of the scholars point out that that fa is litaqib. It's for kind of like after the fact, because there are some narrations, there are some riwayat that and that talk about the fact that she came to back to the people. She came back to the people with Isa, with the child, alayhi salam, after the the entire time period of the the postnatal. Uh, the post-birth period, after that period had transpired, that is when she returned back to the people. Wallahu ta'ala a'lamu bisawab. Allah knows best. Nevertheless, she comes to the people. فَأَتَتْ bihi, And she didn't just come to the people, but she came to the people with him, with the child, with Isa alayhi salam. تَحْمِلُهُ She's carrying him. So it says فَأَتَتْ in the past tense, and then تَحْمِلُهُ in the present tense. So it's kind of like it's a switching. So she came to the people. So imagine the fact that she arrives to the people and now it's making you visualize the scene. She's carrying him. So it's not past tense. Ahmalatu. No, no, no. Tahmilu. View it. Try to picture the scene. Imagine the scene because something amazing is about to happen. Visualize this. Tahmilu. She's carrying him. Now before we even go forward from here, just the tone here, that she comes, so first of all what I'd like to point out is about the word. It says atat, this is minal ityan. This is a verb for coming or arriving, which means to, uh, which means to come or to arrive. But this has a, another synonym, this has another word that is very similar to it, and that is al-maji. Ja'a yaji'u. That also means to come or to arrive. Alright? But there's a difference in Quranic language, in classical Arabic, there's a distinction, there's a difference between the two words. And the difference from a literary perspective is that the tone of the two words is very different. Al-Maji, Ja'a Yaji'u, is used to describe some type of arrival or a coming that is a little more difficult, that is a little more heavy, that is a little more demanding. And Al-Ityan, Atayati is used to describe a coming or an arrival that is very, very easy, very simple, very sahal, very convenient, very easy. Alright? So here Allah uses the easier term. And we're gonna see the heavier term right very in the same, very same ayah. We're gonna see the heavy term in this very same ayah. So you see both terms, both synonyms, alright, both synonymous words being used right next to each other within the same ayah. So we're gonna to get to see how what is the difference in tone between the two. Nevertheless, the thing I'll tell you right off the bat is this is the lighter, this is the easier word, the easier tone. So it doesn't just mean that she came. It means she very easily, she found it very easy to come to the people, to return back to her people. This was something that was very easy for her. She didn't, she wasn't apprehensive, she wasn't scared anymore, she wasn't terrified of what was going to happen. Very casually, very nicely, very confidently, she came to the people with her child. Now, the question begs, this is the same woman who ran away in tabadat min ahliya to a very, very far away place, and she was very nervous, and she was very scared, and she was very apprehensive. She was very distraught. And now all of a sudden she's coming back and she's very comfortable, very confident. What has changed? What is the difference? So one of the things that, is the, that makes a difference here is that like we read in the previous ayat, all those miracles that transpired, an angel coming and communicating to her, springs sprouting up at the base of her feet, fruits falling from the tree, just simply at her command. All of this was bringing comfort to her. That Allah is on my side. Allah is taking care of me. And then especially when she's being commanded by the angel, that you are not to speak to people. You are not to speak to people. When people got questions, just tell them, 
Sorry, I can't speak. I made a note that I will not speak. And what's, what's, what's implicit about that is, Allah is basically saying, we will speak on your behalf. We will absolve you of any wrongdoing. We'll take care of the talking. You just do the job that we have entrusted to you. You just do what we've asked you to do. And we'll take care of the rest. We'll take care of the rest. So there's that level of confidence that she has. When you're assured by someone in any level of capacity uh, or any level of power, how comfortable does that make you feel? I got it taken care of. When you want to make an announcement, the imam or the president of the masjid has told you you can make your announcement, you're very confident now. Right? So imagine Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling you to be confident, be comfortable, and we're, ta- we're going to take care of everything. There's nothing left for you to worry about. So there's obviously that level of comfort. And then uh, at, the same, uh, at the same time, this child has come into existence. So during that entire time of pregnancy, there is that apprehension, which is natural, which is normal. Now when she's holding the child in her hands, there's that level of comfort that she's achieved. She's a mother now. She's a mother. That comes with a certain level of, con- that, that, that brings a certain level of confidence. That, bring, that, that, that she doesn't even have the luxury to be so apprehensive and nervous anymore. She's responsible for another life, another human being. Alright, so that speaks to what being a mother is about as well. And at the same time, holding any child brings a woman confidence and comfort and maturity and responsibility. Imagine holding a messenger of Allah that is literally a living miracle. That is a living miracle. Imagine the level of confidence that that must bring. And Maryam knew better than anyone that this is a miraculous birth and conception because she is the vessel. She knows she has never had physical intimacy. Yet this child has come into existence. So imagine the level of confidence she has. She's literally holding a miracle in her hands. So she's got that confidence. So very confidently, very comfortably, she comes to the people. فَأَتَتْ بِهِ And comes with the child. تَحْمِلُ And she's carrying the child. Right there in front for everyone to witness and everyone to see. قَالُوا They say, يَا مَرْيَمْ O Maryam, لَقَدْ جِئْتِ شَيْئًا فَرِيًّا لَقَدْ جِئْتِ شَيْئًا فَرِيًّا Most definitely, no doubt, you have brought, you have come. لَقَدْ جِئْتِ You have brought, you have come. And again, this word that's being used for coming or for arriving, this is the heavy word. Al-maji ja'a yaji'u ji'ti. This is from that heavy tone. So you see that again, that word is now being used in the heavy tone because what these people are trying to say, what have you done? What have you brought here? How dare you bring this here? How dare you come back with this? So they're using it in the very heavy tone. So you see both near synonyms being used in their respective tones within the same ayah. On the part of Maryam, there's confidence because she's got full yaqeen, iman, and that personal experience of this being a miracle from Allah. And on the other hand, you got the people who are not willing to believe, they, are, they, are, they, they don't see the correct perspective, and they're appalled at this. How could you? لَقَدْ You've brought shay'an, something that is fariyan, fariyan. Now the word fariyan, the root of the word, has a very interesting origin, has a very interesting root. It means to, when skin has been damaged, or skin has been burnt, and then that damaged or that burnt skin is cut off and it's removed, that is what the root of the word means, to remove that skin that has been burnt or has been damaged. It then more figuratively, more metaphorically is used when describing something that is 
So, so if you wanted to extract the base meaning of the word, it is extreme measures. Because when you remove the skin, those are very extreme measures because now the doctor is saying there's no hope of the, skin, of the skin healing and recovering. And in fact, it's going to continue rot. We have to remove it. We have to take extreme measures. Alright? So taking extreme measures. So that word fariyan is used figuratively in the meaning when somebody does something that is extremely disliked. That is extremely reprehensible. When someone does something that is extremely bad. Fariyan. Alright? And then of course, a derivative of this word is iftira. Iftara Allahi kadiban. Alright? So it's used in the uh, meaning of when somebody not just lies about something or somebody fabricates something about something or about someone, but rather somebody makes up a very, very horrible lie. So it's not just telling like a little, small, little lie, what we call, you know? Uh, by the way, that's just a relative term, but you get what I'm trying to say. Right? Not when you're just kind of like, quote-unquote, bending the truth a little bit here and there. No, when you outright blatantly say something very horribly incorrect about someone or something, that is iftira. So that's why that again, that extreme, that tone of something being extreme is built into the word, the base and the root of the word. So they're saying you haven't just brought something, but you've brought something, you've come with something that is horrible. There's something horribly wrong about the situation. And then there's also... Um, the, within the lugat, within the lexicons, there's also the fact that the in classical Arabic, fariyan, in its very hyperbolic form, in this particular form, in the mubalagha form, they would use it when describing a child born out of wedlock, an illegitimate child. That this word would specifically be used in that type of a context. So they're not even beating around the bush. They're getting right to the point that this is an illegitimate child. How could you do this? Alright? And we see in Surah Tunisaya number 156 that it's expressed more clearly, وَبِكُفْرِهِمْ وَقَوْلِهِمْ عَلَىٰ مَرْيَمَ بُهْتَانًا عَظِيمًا That through their kufr, through their disbelief, and through their words, basically upon Maryam, they had fixed a very huge, great slander. And that was that you have an illegitimate child, that you have engaged in impropriety. That you have behaved inappropriately. Alright, so they're very outright, blatantly accusing Maryam of this. Now, they continue on. And this is, this is that element that I talked about previously, and I emphasize this quite a bit, that part of the apprehension of Maryam was the fact that she was, she was also very concerned about these people slandering, about these people saying bad things about her parents, and about her teacher, and about the deen, and accusing, not just speaking ill of her, but also kind of extending uh, accusations, or also implicating the people that are around her, the people that she loves and respects, and uh, cares for so deeply and so dearly. So she was also worried about the honor and the dignity of these people. So they say, they continue on in ayah number 28, Ya ukhta Harun. Ya ukhta Harun, O sister of Harun. Now what does that mean? Why are they referring to Maryam as a sister of Harun? So there are two things here. Two things. And I'd like to explain it kind of clearly, because this is uh, the subject matter of huge discussion amongst classical mufassirun, classical scholars of the Qur'an. Ukhta Harun, so they're saying, O sister of Harun. So how are they referring to Maryam as a sister of Harun? So the first thing is that, 
Again, this is said this is said figuratively. We obviously know of a Harun, the one that is mentioned in the Quran, the one that your mind goes to immediately when you hear the name Harun, and that is a brother of Musa alayhi salam, the Nabi of Allah, Harun alayhi salam. So right away your mind goes to there, and this is a figurative usage of that, that she's not the literal sister of Harun. Obviously that, that time precedes her time by so much, by generations and centuries, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows exactly best how much time has transpired. But nevertheless, it's at the least generations that are between them, centuries that are between them. So they don't literally mean that you are the sister of Harun, but this is a figurative usage of the word. And we see this other places in the Qur'an as well. In Surah, trying to remember the name of it, Surah Al-Ahqaf. In Surah Al-Ahqaf, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands the Prophet ﷺ to recall the story of Hud alayhi salam, to recall the story of Hud alayhi salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands the Prophet ﷺ and says, وَذْكُرْ أَخَاعَادٍ that recall the story, or recall the brother of Ad. Now Ad is the name of the forefather of the tribe that Hud salam belonged to. He's not literally the brother of a man named Ad. Ad is the name of the forefather, dating back generations of the tribe. The forefather of the tribe dating back generations, centuries. So when, he, when, when the Prophet Hud salam is called the brother of Ad, that is in the figurative sense that you belong to the people of Ad. You come from the progeny of Ad. Therefore you are from amongst the brothers of Ad. Alright? The Prophet used this term brother in that figurative sense as well. Where the, the Prophet in a very beautiful, beautiful hadith, the Prophet said, may, you know, uh, he gave good news. Congratulations to my brothers. Congratulations to my brothers. Good news for my brothers. The Sahabatul Kiram radiallahu anhum, they said, O Messenger of Allah, are we not your brothers? And he said, No, you are my Sahaba. But my brothers are the ones that will come after me. And they will believe in me, even though they have not seen me. But they will still believe in me and follow me. So this is obviously a virtue of the ummah of the Prophet was to come. This is the Prophet congratulating us as well. And we should try to live up to that standard of truly believing in him, studying his life and trying to live up to the standard that he said. Nevertheless, you see the Prophet referring to even us as brothers, even though there's not even a biological connection. There's not even a family connection. Not all of us literally belong to the blood lineage, to the bloodline of the Prophet ﷺ. But nevertheless, he's referring to anyone who will come after him and be, be, follow him, believe in him. He's referring to him as their brother, as his brother. So it's used in that figure of sense. That the fact that they will believe in me, and they will be connected to me some way, somehow, through faith, through iman, through following, through ittiba, they will be my brothers. So it's used in that figurative sense. And finally, even in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Isra, Surah number 17, Allah says, إِنَّ الْمُبَذِّرِينَ كَانُوا إِخْوَانَ الشَّيَاطِينَ That people who spend without need, so not just spend extravagantly, one thing is to spend on your need extravagantly. So I need a pair of shoes, but I'm gonna go buy, I'm gonna go buy an $800 pair of shoes. That's the problem, so that's israf. This is tabdeer. Tabdeer is I don't need. Alright, so mashallah, I have a full rack of shoes. I have a whole closet full of clothes. But I'm still gonna go buy clothes. Just why? Because I feel like it or because there was a sale. How dare you not buy clothes when they're on sale? Right? Who's gonna buy them then? Alright? It's gonna go to waste. No, it's not food. It's not gonna go to waste. Alright? So, 
But tabdeed. So tabdeed is to spend without need. Alright? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ الْمُبَذِّرِينَ People who spend without need, كَانُوا إِخْوَانَ الشَّيَاطِينَ they are the brothers of the devils, the satans, the shayateen. Now they're not literally the blood brothers of shayateen. They're not jinn walking around. You don't see jinn in the mall, right? Like there's a, there's a sale at Macy's, watch out, lots of jinn will be walking around. That's not what it means. It means that they are in the figurative sense. In the figurative sense. It means that they're brothers in the sense of they have that connected behavior. Their behavior is connected to those types of people. So that's what it's making reference to. Alright, so... Long drawn out way of basically saying, it means it in the figurative sense. That you come from the lineage, you come from the family, you come from the progeny of a remarkable, a very chaste, a very un- amazing person like Harun. How could you have done something like this? So they're, they're invoking not just the name of her father, they didn't say, Ya Binta Imran, but they're relating it all the way back to one of the forefathers of their tribes. Harun, a very respected individual, a prophet of Allah, a messenger of God. And there's even specific things mentioned that why, subhanAllah, why even did they say, Ya Ukhta Harun, and why not Ya Ukhta Musa? Why Harun? It's because, and we don't have a lot in authentic narrations about this, but you can actually even, you see, again, if we study the Qur'an properly, there's so much more that we can learn from it. It's in fact in Surah Taha. It's in Surah Taha. Which again, my apologies to the Qur'an intensive students, so I told them that we would do Surah Taha, but we're getting kind of caught up over here, okay? So we're gonna try our best inshallah. I still got the intention, but we'll try our best inshallah. So in Surah Taha itself, when you read, and it describes Musa alayhi salam, and Harun alayhi salam, and kind of how they behave, and how they react, and how they respond to things, you're able to feel it from the characters that are very vividly described in the Qur'an. And on top of that, then we have certain narrations, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best as far as their authenticity is concerned. But we can even feel it from the ayat that Musa salam was a very, his personality was more domineering. He was a very aggressive person by nature. He had a very aggressive personality. And we see in Surah Al-Qasas, when that man walked up to him and got in his face, we talked about the stories. فَوَكَزَهُ مُوسَى فَقَضَى عَلَيْهِ Right? So he pushed him back and the man died. So very aggressive by nature. Alright? And we see that when he returns back and he finds the people in shirk, what does he start doing to his brother Harun? He starts beating him. What did you do? What did you do? But we see Harun alayhi salam, that even how he responds to Musa alayhi salam, when Musa alayhi salam is beating him. And by the way, again, through those narrations, we know that Harun alayhi salam is the older brother here. But how does he respond? He doesn't slap him back and he says, Young and know your place. He doesn't do nothing like that. What does Harun alayhi salam? He says, Yabna um. لا تأخذ بلحيتي ولا برأسي. He says, oh the son of my mother. So you see a very soft, gentle personality. He doesn't even call him brother. He says, you're the son of, we have the same mom. Think about our mother. Would our mother like seeing us fighting like this? What are you doing? So it's a very, very calm, very gentle soul. And we're able to feel that from the dialogue that is mentioned even within the Qur'an that explicitly talks about Harun alayhi salam. So when they say, Ya ukhta Harun, because of that gentility, because of that softness and that decency that Harun alayhi salam was the epitome of, that he was the standard of, that's why they're invoking specifically the forefather, the name of the forefather which is Harun. That you belong to the lineage and the progeny of such a very gentle, very kind, very soft, very humble soul. How could you have gone and done something like this? Ya ukhta Harun. Oh daughter of Harun. Alright, so that's obviously one. Now, secondly, we also find something very 
uh, we also find something specific being mentioned. And that is, there's a hadith in Sahih Muslim, and there are different variations of it mentioned in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, mentioned in the Jami' of Imam Tirmidhi, rahimahumullah. So it's mentioned in numerous books of a hadith. But the narration Sahih Muslim is the one that I'll read out to you. Al-Mughira bin Shu'aba radiallahu anhu, he was sent by the Prophet ﷺ to the people of Najran. He was sent to the people of Najran with the message of Islam. When he took the pe- message there to the people of Najran, they said, Ara'ayta ma taqra'un. Don't you see what you people read and recite, meaning in the Qur'an. So they made an objection to the Qur'an. Ya ukhtaharun. So they made like what they figured, what they thought was an intellectual uh, objective, a criticism of the Qur'an. They said, you people in your Qur'an, you read Ya ukhtaharun. وَمُوسَىٰ قَبْلَ عِيسَىٰ بِكَذَا وَكَذَا And Musa and Harun alayhimassalam's time before Isa alayhimassalam, time was so much more before their time, before his time. So Musa and Harun were so much more before the time of Isa, how could they be saying, how, how does your Qur'an refer to Maryam as Ukht of Harun, the sister of Harun? How is that possible? That doesn't logically make sense. The timeline doesn't add up. So Al-Mughira radiallahu anhu says, فَلَمْ أَدْرِي مَا أَقُولُ He says, I didn't know what to say. Now something interesting here, this is a student of whom? Whose student is this? Rasulullah This is a student of Muhammad Rasulullah So when he's asked a question, and he, so what did he learn from the Messenger of Allah When he's asked a question, and he doesn't know the answer to the question, what does he do? You know, what I think is that, and I talked about this a couple of days ago, this predicament that we have. You know, I was thinking that this is probably something kind of like this. No, no, no. No, thank you, brother. Alright? He doesn't say that. He says, He says, I didn't know what I should say. So I didn't say anything. I said, if I get the chance to come back to you guys, or I'll try to send a message back to you guys, let me get back to the Messenger of Allah and get their answer from the source. So he says, when I got back to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, I mentioned this entire narration, situation to him. فَقَالَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ The Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, أَلَمْ يَعْلَمُوا Don't they know? أَنَّهُمْ كَانُوا يُسَمُّونَ بِأَسْمَاءِ أَنْبِيَائِهِمْ That they used to be named by the names of their prophets and their messengers. وَالصَّالِحِينَ قَبْلَهُمْ And they used to be named after the righteous, pious people that preceded them. And this is in Sahih Muslim. What the Prophet is alluding to is that even if they don't grasp, even if they do not grasp the literary usage of the word, the metaphorical, the figurative usage of the word, that doesn't literally mean that she is the biological sister of Harun, that she belongs to the people of Harun, the progeny of Harun, even if they don't grasp that, why don't they understand the fact that, you know, the people in Banu Israel, like we do today, they would name their children after the pious righteous people, the prophets that preceded. So Maryam could have had a brother. Maryam could have had a cousin. Maryam could have had, you know, a relative by the name of Harun. There's nothing precluding that. There's nothing uh, prohibiting that. That's completely plausible and possible. She had a brother, she had a cousin named Harun. So when they're saying, Ya Ukhta Harun, she is the sister of Harun. She has a cousin or a brother named Harun. What's wrong with that? That's completely possible. And in fact, then we do find certain narrations that are mentioned by the Mufassirun, that there was a very pious, righteous man. Some actually designate him to be the actual biological older brother of Maryam. And some actually say that no, he was a cousin of Maryam. 
Allahu ta'ala a'lam, Allah knows best, but nevertheless there was the presence of a man named Harun in the family of Maryam. And there are even some narrations which mention that he was so righteous and so pious, that when he passed away, when he died, 40,000 people attended his funeral prayer. 40,000. So there's actually presence of the mention of a man from the family of Maryam in some ancient scriptures. That there was a man in the family of Maryam who was so pious and so righteous and the name was Harun, that when he died, 40,000 people attended his funeral prayer. So again, there are two answers to the same question. And subhanAllah, again, the versatility, the, 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 the marvel of the Qur'an is that both of these meanings can be applied at the same time. That there was somebody in the family of Maryam by the name of Harun, but also this is being used in the figurative sense, that they're trying to make her feel shameful for what she's done. By invoking the name of a great, 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 great grandfather, who was a very remarkable man, that how could you tarnish the legacy of such a man? How could you tarnish the legacy of such a man? Ya ukhta Harun. And they go on to say, مَا كَانَ أَبُوكِ مَا كَانَ أَبُوكِ Your father was not. Your father was not the type of man. What type of man? إِمْرَأَ سَوْئِن إِمْرَأَ سَوْئِن That your father was not a bad man. So is like the, the, the core, the root of the word. Many, he was not a man that had any amount. إِمْرَأَ سَوْئِن And again, this is idafa, but this is idafa done through the common form. Alright, and this is, not a, this is not the natural, this is not the default way to construct an idafa. When it's done in this particular format, it's done to emphasize, to broaden the scope of the meaning some way, somehow, that your father was not a man who had any ounce of evil or bad in him. He was a very, very good person. وَمَا كَانَتْ أُمُّكِ And your mother was not a sinful woman. And, and, so why, and again, that word baghiyah, which we talked about previously, Alright, where Maryam says, بغيًا, I was not a sinful woman, meaning I did not fornicate, I did not commit adultery, I did not engage in those type of inappropriate, indecent acts in any way, shape, or form. So to saying your mother was not that type of a woman either. Alright, now why do they say that your mother was not that type of a woman? Because where else would you have learned such a habit? And so almost you find this implicit lesson here, that children are a reflection of their parents. Children are a reflection of their parents. Children pick up these qualities, these habits from their parents. And I talked about this earlier when referring to the parents of Maryam. Alright, so Maryam's parents are remarkable, that's why she's remarkable. And that's what they're basically emphasizing, their mother never did nothing like this. Then where did you learn it from? How could you ever do something like that? Now, so they said your father wasn't a bad man at all. Like he didn't even have an ounce he did not have a bad cell in his body. And your mother was never, never, your mother never did anything bad like this. Now again though, these people are slandering, these people are accusing Maryam. So when they say this, they're not sitting there praising her parents. They're not saying, oh you, uh, you know, your parents are really awesome, your dad's a great guy, your mom's a wonderful person. They're not complimenting in that sense what we consider complimenting. It again is, it has that very, uh, it's, it has that accusative tone to it. They're accusing her. Like it's almost sarcastically being said. Your parents are good people. How could you go and do something like this? Meaning if you have done something like this, then maybe your parents were bad people as well? So these people are saying it, and exactly Maryam's worst fears are being realized. 
that they're implicating her parents in this entire scenario, in this entire situation. So now what is Maryam's response to that? You know, and I, I'd like to make it very personal. Somebody says something really bad to you, they slander you, they accuse you, alright? And then on top of that, they bring your parents into it. You know, he said, leave my family out of it. Right? Because we get offended. It's personal. How dare you bring my family up? How dare you bring my family into this? Right? So Maryam, she wants to respond like any red-blooded human being would want to. And she wants to tell them off. She'd like to give them a piece of her mind. But remember what... And this is where you find the sabr. And Maryam has been described by Allah in the Qur'an, وَكَانَتْ مِنَ الْقَانِتِينَ She's been described in the Qur'an as a qanita. Qunut. Qunut in, in the Arabic language means... To literally be still and be completely quiet. To be completely still and be completely quiet. And this is, uh, this is figuratively used in the meaning of complete and total obedience. The way I like to describe this to people is when somebody tells you to jump, you ask, how high? Obedience of that level, when somebody tells you jump, you say how high? To not speak unless spoken to. To not speak unless spoken to. Literally, that person would just sit there until you ask them something or you tell them to speak. That level of obedience, that level of obedience, that is qunut. Qanit or qanitatun is someone that embodies that type of obedience. Alright? And, and there's a certain serenity, there's a certain calm to that level of obedience. There's that comfort in the obedience of Allah. So that's the type of person Maryam was and she's been described as that in the Qur'an in Surah Tahrim. Surah number 66. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about Maryam's predicament here, she's being called out in public, and not just her, her child has been called the product of an illegitimate act in relationship. So now they're, bringing, they're, they're talking about bad about her baby. Alright? And don't try that at home. Don't ever say anything bad about a woman's child. Don't ever say anything bad to a mother about her child. Because she won't take it very lightly. Alright, that's personal. So they said something bad about her child, and now they're talking about her parents. Insult to injury. Right? Now any human being, like I said, would want to lash out, would want to give them a piece of, their, a piece of her mind. But now look at, the, look at the qunut of Maryam. Look how obedient. What did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tell her? What did Allah... She was told, when you are confronted, don't say a word. I'm not going to say anything to anyone. We'll take care of it. Let us take care of it. And so you see that self-control of Maryam. The convictions of Maryam. She stays quiet. And she says, and, and then the ayah tells us in ayah number 29, فَأَشَارَتْ إِلَيْهِ Subhanallah. فَأَشَارَتْ إِلَيْهِ She signaled toward the child. She signaled, without saying a word, she signaled towards the child. They're asking, how could you do this? How could you do this? She signals to the child. فَأَشَارَتْ إِلَيْهِ Now the Mufassirun do discuss here, what, 
what let her know that she should signal to the child? So then again, some of the mufassirun say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had informed her that you are to signal to the child. The child, this is part of the miracle of this child, that he will speak and he will answer on your behalf. This infant, this baby. The other answer to this, even if that wasn't explicitly mentioned to her, remember, she gave birth to this child. She knows better than anybody else that the existence, the mere birth, the existence of this child in this world is a miracle. So if a child can come into existence without a father, let's see what else is there. She's got no doubts. She points to the child. فَأَشَارَتْ إِلَيْهِ قَالُوا They respond. كَيْفَ نُكَلِّمُ مَنْ كَانَ فِي الْمَهْدِ صَبِيَّةً They ask how? So they're asking a question. Alright? And this is kind of like what we call a rhetorical question. You expect us? Do you really expect us? نُكَلِّمُ That we should speak? Speak to whom? مَنْ كَانَ فِي الْمَهْدِ صَبِيَّةً the, the one that is a child in the lap of his mother. So it's not just even a child like a five, six, seven, eight year old. I'll talk to a child. No, no. Fil Mahdi. He's still an infant, being coddled, being carried by his mother, being fed by his mother. So he's still a child. And, and specifically, that connotation of Al Mahad refers specifically to the child being carried by the mother while the child is still in the age of nursing. So he's an infant. You really expect us to talk to an infant? So now they're, they're a little offended even. They think Maryam's mocking them. They're insulted. You're trying to make fun of us? We're asking you a serious question. You've brought this entire situation on us. And now you're when we're asking you, answer. Answer for yourselves. How do you, how do you answer for yourself here? You're telling us to go talk to this infant? Man kana fil mahdi sabigan? Subhanallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in ayah number 30 tells us, Qala, the child said, he spoke. He spoke, he said, Inni Abdullah. Inni Abdullah. I most definitely am the slave of Allah. I no doubt am the slave of Allah. Inni Abdullah. Now he identifies himself as Abdullah. Of course, First of all, he's letting everyone know that as... So, so the first thing here is, why is he identified in the Qur'an here as Abdullah, the slave of Allah? And so this is a, again a very, a very powerful, explicit reminder and a reiteration to people who have taken the miraculous birth of Isa and changed his status from Abdullah to Ibnullah. From Abdul, Abdullahi to Ibnullah. That people who took this miraculous birth of Isa salam and the miraculous existence of Isa salam and turned it into somehow proof or evidence all right, of the fact that he is the son of God, the son of Allah. So they're being reminded here, Abdullah. That I am the slave of Allah. That yes, my existence in this world is through miraculous means, but that still does not change the fact that I am the slave of Allah. I am still accountable to Allah. I still serve Allah. I am not out of the bounds of being a slave of Allah, a human being. Atani al-kitaba. Atani al-kitaba. 
He has given me the book. He has given me the book. Now what does the book refer to here? So obviously we know that Isa alayhi salam was also a prophet, a messenger of Allah, who was granted, who was given a book, scripture. And we refer to it in Arabic as the Injil, the Bible, the Injil. So again, I posed this question to the sister, because there was a lot of discussion. This is something I remember reading back to a long time ago, and in numerous texts, especially in terms of tafasir, whenever this topic comes up, that in Islamic scholarship, there's the idea, there's a notion, very popular notion, that the Torah is majority, or the Torah was more of the legal text. The Torah was the legal text. Where a lot of the rules and regulations, the jurisprudential matters of the people of Israel, where they were contained. What to do, what not to do, the very technical stuff, legal stuff. Ahkam is what we call it in the Quran. Ahkam, the ahkam were in the Torah. And the Injil was more of the tazkirah, the reminder, the, the, the tarbiyah, the tazkiyah, the spiritual, the inspirational, the motivational. That, that, that content, that was the majority of the content of the Injil, of Isa alayhi salam. So this is something that is very commonly understood within Islamic scholarship. So to get a more objective view on it, I asked the sister, and what she was able to tell me was that the, Old Test, the, the Bible is divided into two parts. So this is from the Christian, Christian scholarship, Christian academic view of things, that the Bible is divided into two parts. The Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is made up of three parts. The Torah, the Nevim, and the Ketavim. Alright, so the Torah is what we refer to as the Torah. The, the Nevim is translated as prophets. The Nabiyin, so that is the story of the prophets. And the Ketavim is more of the writings. Alright, so when the Qur'an refers to the Torah, it's referring to just the first part the first part of what, what is called the Old Testament today. So not all of it. So that clarification, that distinction needs to be made. And that reconciles a lot of the irregularities or the inconsistencies that we might find in terms of what we refer to the Torah and what they refer to as the Torah. Alright, or all the Old Testament. So we should not incorrectly translate Torah as the Old Testament, but the Torah is just a part of the Old Testament. The New Testament, which is now making reference to the Injil or the Bible, is made up of two broad categories. The Gospels, alright, which are four books, uh, the chapters of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the Gospels refer to, uh, is a Latin word in Greek, which was closer to Aramaic, the language that Isa alayhi salam spoke. Alright? And so, and then there's also, you know, some correlation in terms of the uh, linguistics here, and the origins of the word, and how Injil also correlates to that same type of a meaning, and it meant good news. So Isa alayhi salam himself has explicitly mentioned that his disciples should in, adhere to the Injil. So the fact that Injil means good news, that's reiterating the same fact that Islamic scholarship latches onto, that the Injil was the spiritual, the motivational, the inspirational message. And the fact that the disciples of Isa alayhi salam were told to adhere to the Injil. Alright? So in these first four parts of the Old Testament, we would find parts of the Injil which are sayings and teachings of Isa salam. However, the writings of Paul and other things, that is the bulk of the New Testament. So when we say Injil, we are referring to just the first part. 
We are referring to the Gospels and even parts of the Old Testament. We are in no way making reference to the bulk of what they consider in the New Testament. And that is, those are the writings of, of Paul. So that has no religious significance to us. We do not see that as something authentic and we do not give that any type of a credence in terms of uh, whether it actually comes from Isa or not. Allah knows best. Alright? So... This is what Jesus Himself has said about obedience to the Torah. And this is narrated from the book of Matthew. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will, not, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And that is from the book of Matthew. So the Torah was the primary source of law. And we see Isa a.s. reiterating that fact, even from the Christian perspective. Alright? That he's saying that is the primary source of law. But there are many passages, and there are many passages in the New Testament, where Isa a.s. said that he has not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. It was Paul who later on changed it. So the changes that were made were done by Paul much, much later on. And, and she made that clarification that this is not just a perspective of a Muslim. This is not a Muslim that is saying that. This is not it's a Muslim understanding of things. But this is themselves what academics uh, and, and scholars of Bible studies, this is what they say. This is a clarification they make. So I just wanted to explain that, that when Isa salam says, Atani al-kitab, the book has been given to me, he not only is referring to the Injil, which was a type of a supplement to the Torah. So the Injil was a supplement to the Torah. It was a motivational, inspirational message, a spiritual message that was added on to the laws and the legal um, structure laid out in the Torah. But it, it is also implicitly referencing the Torah, that I am continuing the tradition of the prophets before me. I am continuing the tradition. I told you before we started Surah Maryam, part of the theme of the surah is the continuity, the consistency of the message. And that works right into right here. Atani al-kitab, I have been given the book. Waja'alani nabiyan. Waja'alani nabiyan. And I have been made a prophet. I have been made a prophet. Alright? Now this is, like I told you, the first part of the speech the miraculous speech of the infant Isa salam. the first part of it is that reminder, is a reminder to the people that took the status of Isa salam too far, by saying, إِنِّي عَبْدُ اللَّهِ I am and will always remain a slave of Allah, regardless of the circumstances of my birth and my existence, and my coming into this world. The second part of his statement is a reminder, is a reprimand to the people who did not acknowledge at all, in any way, shape, or form, at any level, the significance of Isa salam, Where they were not willing to accept and understand that this was a miraculous birth, that this was a miracle and a sign from Allah, لِنَجْعَلَهُ آيَةً لِلنَّاسِ That He is a miraculous sign of Allah's greatness to the people. They were not willing to accept that, they said no. His mother must have been, وَلَعَيَاذُ بِاللَّهِ his, his, his mother must have been 
a sinful woman, and he was the product of an illegitimate relationship and an illegitimate act, and nothing more, nothing else. That this is a reminder to those people, this is a reprimand to those people, that, أَتَانِي الْكِتَابِ No, 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 don't get things messed up. Don't get things mixed up. I am inheriting that same deen, that same tradition of the prophets that you people accept. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen to the message that is yet to come from me. And see if you don't find it to be consistent. Like we just even read that passage from the scripture. That listen to my message and see if you don't find it to be consistent with the prophets whom you already believe in. And then dismiss what I have to say. Secondly, وَجَعَلَنِي نَبِيًّا And he has made me a prophet. I am a messenger of Allah. And you have no choice but to accept that. Because once you do not accept that, then that is you denying, refusing, not just that the fact that this man is not a prophet, but you are denying belief in Allah. You are refusing to believe in Allah and Allah's greatness. You're basically saying you cannot come to terms with the fact that Allah could have created a child without a father. And subhanAllah, very beautifully and eloquently, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Ali Imran tells us, إِنَّ مَثَلَ عِيسَى عِنْدَ اللَّهِ كَمَثَلِ آدَمَ إِنَّ مَثَلَ عِيسَى عِنْدَ اللَّهِ كَمَثَلِ آدَمَ That most definitely the example of Isa alayhi salam is just like the example of Adam alayhi salam. Adam alayhi salam was created directly by Allah through the greatness and the qudra of Allah. Allah's ability to create and Isa alayhi salam don't see him as any differently. If it doesn't quite add up to what you need or require to believe in someone's birth scientifically, biologically, then know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is fully capable of doing so because the very first human being came into existence through the qudra of Allah and the same is the case with Isa alayhi salam. أَتَانِيَ الْكِتَابَ وَجَعَلَنِي نَبِيًّا Ayah number 31. Alright, so for some of the local brothers and sisters who might be coming in for Salat al-Isha, I was informed by the, by the administration of the masjid, the time for the adhan of Salat al-Isha has moved a little bit past 10 p.m. now, it's 10.01, so we're gonna go ahead and continue a couple of minutes past 10, and then we'll break inshallah for Salah, since the time of Salah starts at that time inshallah. Ayah number 31, وَجَعَلَنِي مُبَارَكًا وَجَعَلَنِي مُبَارَكًا And He has made me, so the, the infant continues to speak. And he has made me mubarakan. This comes from baraka. This comes from baraka. Baraka means blessing. The root of the word baraka means something that is perpetual in nature. Something that replenishes, something that continues, something that is uh, refilled, if you will. If you want to use a very, very simple term. Something that is automatically refilled. Alright, so when barakah means blessing, it doesn't just mean blessing, it means ble perpetual blessings. Plus, blessings that continue, blessings that replenish themselves. Alright, blessings that are long-lasting, everlasting. Alright, and Allah of course is the source of all these blessings, and it's used in, its very, in the exaggerated form, in the hyperbolic form, in its mubalagha form, mubarak, baraka yubariku. Mubarakatan. It's also used from Bab Tafa'ul. Tabaraka. Tabaraka alladhi biyadihi mulk. That doesn't just mean that blessed is the one, it means most blessed is the one. So Allah is the source, Allah is the controller, Allah is the giver of all blessing. He is the sole primary source of all blessing. Alright? So when something is called Mubarak, it doesn't just mean that something is blessed, it means that something is very profoundly blessed. 
That something is showered with blessing. Something has a lot of blessing. So when he says, وَجَعَلَنِي مُبَارَكًا And he has made me, Allah has made me mubarak. Very, very blessed. That Allah has put, made me blessed, that everywhere I go, I will have, I will enjoy, I will even spread the blessings of Allah. I will carry the blessings of Allah. وَجَعَلَنِي مُبَارَكًا أَيْنَ مَا كُنْتُ أَيْنَ مَا كُنْتُ Wherever I may be, wherever I go, wherever I may be, I will be blessed, I will be blessed by Allah, and I will be a carrier of the blessings of Allah. I will be a representative of the blessings of Allah. Now, what does that mean? Alright, so a couple of uh, understandings we can take from this, a couple of lessons we can take from this. The first thing is that because he's a prophet, because he's a prophet and a messenger, and the primary function of prophets and messengers, aside from bringing guidance to people, another, another very, very important function of prophets and messengers is that they are sent, they are meant to be followed, to be obeyed, to be listened to. They're not just sent to tell you stories. They're not just sent to show you miracles and do very, very cool things and ooh and ah and that's it. No, but they're sent so that you listen to them, you believe in them and you follow them. You follow them. So when, they, when he's saying that wherever I may be, I will be a source of blessing, that is subtly reminding the person that if you want the blessing of Allah in your life, it doesn't matter where you are or where you find me or in what situation of my life, what phase of my life I'm in, what situation or circumstances I'm in, you will follow me because that is how you will get blessing in your life. I am the source of blessing. Meaning I am a representative, Allah is the source of blessing, excuse me, but I am a representative of that blessing. I am a means to that blessing. I am a means to that blessing. So if you want the blessing of Allah in your life, you will follow my example wherever I am. Aina ma kuntu. So that could be not just in the masjid, not just in the realm of worship, but when doing business, when walking around amongst the people, when conducting business, you know, when at home with my family, when dealing with, with, with family members. Alright? And we, for us, the message here is in terms of Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That same message. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is again that means, that, 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 that way to achieve the blessing of Allah. He is Mubarak. He is Mubarak. And so if we truly want the blessings of Allah in our lives, we want to enjoy the blessings of Allah, we will implement, we will follow the example of Muhammad Rasulullah in all walks of life, in all situations of life, regardless of where we are and where we go and what happens with us. Whether we be... So there's no such thing that only in religious matters we follow the example of Muhammad I pray like Muhammad Rasulullah but rather it also means that even when I conduct business, when I deal with my family, when I talk to my children, I will implement the character, the example of Muhammad wasallam. There's many many other discussions related to this ayah, to the, even this first part of the ayah, and of course the second part of the ayah, and we'll continue on from here, inshallah, tomorrow in the following dars. Um, we'll go ahead and end now. It is time for the Adhan of Salatul Aisha. May Allah give us all the ability to practice everything that has been said and heard. Subhanallahi wa bihamdihi, subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayhi.